Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ghost in the Night with Phil Sams. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to a very special episode of Ghosts of the Night, a hauntings and paranormal podcast. Today, we have a special guest. Now, if you've listened to this podcast in the past, he's been on before. I believe it was episode 23. And the name of that episode was Surviving a Poltergeist. Now, his name is Keith Linder, and you might recognize the name. That is because he was, his story was featured on an episode, an infamous episode, I should say of Ghost Adventures, Demons in Seattle. Now, this was a controversial controversial episode due to the fact that this is one time where Ghost Adventures did not find anything, and they really turned the tables and blamed Keith and his then-time girlfriend, Tina, I believe, and basically, without saying so many words, said they were hoaxing this. This was just a publicity stunt, He's going to join us tonight to tell us about what he's been up to. And some of you might be even more familiar with it because Ghost Adventures did an episode just a few weeks ago of their Screaming Room edition, I guess is what you should call it. But it's where they recap previous episodes. And if Ghost Adventures is one thing, I can say this. They are consistent. They stuck to their guns and... They continued basically to throw Keith under the bus on this episode. So thank you so much for joining me tonight, Keith. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to be here. Good to be back. Yeah. Uh, it was better under better circumstances, but good. Yeah, I was actually shocked when I, I was sitting here watching television one night and, you know, commercials coming on and I might have been watching something on the Travel Channel and I saw a promo for this Screaming Room which is, I guess, new, something new they're doing, because this is the only one I've ever seen. And uh, I saw this, I was like, you got to be kidding me. I have to watch this. So I watched it, and I don't know how you feel about it, but after I watched this, knowing what I know about your story, talking to you in the past, I watched this hoping that Zach and the boys would not necessarily have a change of heart, but continue and add to the story because there is so much more to the story than what they portrayed on the original episode. And I was really, honestly, I was kind of pissed after I watched that episode. What did you think about that episode? Uh, I was shocked. And, I, and I'll tell you why, because, um, and your listeners might not notice, but they're about to find out. There is so much evidence out there in the public domain about this case. There is so much, uh, not from me, but from paranormal researchers the world over, the UK, North America, Scotland, um, Australia, uh, who came to the home 
and lived there. And we've made this information. This information has been out there for at least four years. Right. So when I got wind or caught wind of them doing an episode, it was kind of weird because I was like, you know, normally you see these shows where they do a revisit of the people and they bring the people back. They said, what are they doing now? Where did they end up? And there was none of There was never no reach out to me. The invite didn't go to my spam folder in my inbox. So, um, but I had a, a four week notice. So I contacted them through back channels and uh, I sent them all the evidence once again out there already. And I know they already know this stuff because years back they acknowledged it on Twitter that they uh, noticed some of this stuff. But um, I wanted them to tell their audience, you don't necessarily have to have me there. Fine. I, I don't really want to be there. But maybe your listeners who watched the original episode who had question marks afterwards would like to know that we did get some truths out of this house. We got a lot of truth, meaning the paranormal teams after Ghost Adventures. And um, they didn't do that. You know, they didn't do that. And then they drilled down or doubled down on on the uh, Screaming Room episode and made some of the most silliest accusations or silliest conjectures or innuendos or thought experiments that I thought like, okay, I know you're, you must be only talking to your narrow audience who don't really give a crap about the paranormal. They just give a lot of, they just love Zach and crew. So they don't think of paranormal like you and I do. So it, they must be talking to a narrow audience because this stuff has been out there. So yeah, I, I was shocked and uh, they repeated some of the same old stuff. Um, threw a, a, a few pot shots at, you know, parapsychologist Steve Mara, Don Phillips, but it's all in your window, and then they they ask some of the similar questions that they did on the episode, and we'll talk about that tonight because it, it was just it was just it was just strange to hear them say that when I can refute it so easily. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's one when I watched that up, you know, the the latest episode, I was like, and uh, and it got to the point. There's a bunch of stuff in there that really caught my eye, but he Zach took his attitude towards. He made it. It was like a flippant remark. He's he had you know you. He had other investigators there. Now I don't know their credibility. And I was like, what an arrogant sob. He is he the end all be all of the paranormal research? Because if he thinks he's the end all be all of the paranormal research, his how he approached your original investigation shows me that okay, he is an entertainer. He's not a paranormal researcher. He must be an entertainer because the job of a paranormal researcher or any researcher, just take the word paranormal out of it, the job of any researcher is to get to the truth. Right. The truth doesn't always come to you, meaning you don't always discover it, but others in your field might. Right. So when they find it, you can go to them, ask, peer review colleague review and review the material yourself right. and then make an educated decision as to the validity of it. Just outright say, nah, nah, not credible, whatever, without at least reviewing the evidence tells me you are an entertainer right. and it is all about you 
And it's always been about you. So that notion in the original episode of we're going to stay in Keith's house until we find the truth, that's just that's just false. And I get it. And, and if that works for your fan base, that's fine. But me and Tina caught a lot of slack, caught a lot of hell. And I'm going to always defend when you call, because you basically call me a liar. When you say I'm hoaxing, right. I'm over-exaggerating, I'm attention-seeking, I'm mad. You're just basically calling me a liar. That's right. what you do. You're going around the barn with it, but right. you basically are. So I am going to challenge you by putting out the truth. And people don't understand, I contacted Steve and Dawn, and we're talking about this later tonight, and asked them to come investigate my house. They could have very easily came up empty-handed like Ghost Adventure. Right. Paranormal is not a guaranteed thing. Exactly. And they could have left with empty-handed. Uh, I doubt they would have took the reaction that Zach did. Right. But they lived in the home two and a half weeks, not five hours. Ghost Adventures never discloses how long they were in our house, but I have it documented. They were only in the home five hours. And that's not enough time to go after this type of phenomena. So that's on them. But it was just weird, and um, I'm shocked, but I'm not shocked. Right. Yeah, I mean, they – anybody that's in the paranormal field knows five hours isn't a lot of time. And you could go to a location – you know, spend, I understand, like, in my situation, sometimes I can't spend, you know, more than five, six hours in a place. And I've been to locations where I've gotten amazing activity in five, six hours, yeah. went back the next time, and nothing. It's, nothing. they don't punch a time clock. I always say spirits in the spirit world, they don't hit a time clock. It's how you interact with the environment, and if they want to show themselves or some, maybe you're just not picking up on it. And your energy can play a big role in that. If you come in with a negative kind of yeah. atti- attitude, they, the spirit world might pick up on that, and they're not going to reveal themselves, or you're just not in tune with the environment. But that is one thing that really, you know, the team you brought in from the UK, you know, they, they're not really, I don't classify them as paranormal investigators. I classify myself in, essentially what um, Zach does, paranormal investigation, but they are one step above. They are parapsychologists. They are more scientific. Um, They take a scientific approach to the paranormal and taking evidence and documenting because they have a documentary on YouTube about their time there, and you even sent me basically a written, it's a report of everything that they found and did a whole timeline between when you first moved into that location, you know, throughout the whole thing, a timeline, a documented in-depth timeline of it. And even, you know, it even says when Ghost Adventures was there and, you yeah. know, and how they, they wrote everything down. Now, paranormal investigators like myself or, you know, I'm not even on Zach's level, but basically we're the type, pretty much the same. We don't have that kind of time, you know, to do all that stuff. We're not that, I'm not that scientific. They are researchers, true scientific researchers looking into something that isn't, you know, common science. So they have to be extra detailed. And that is the difference between what they do and what I do and what Zach does. They 
they they're trying to use the scientific method to prove the paranormal. And yeah, yeah, you can call it. Oh, oh go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say you can call it. Um, you know, because I'm an IT, we throw this word around a lot. The best practice standardization around conducting a, a intelligent haunting or poltergeist haunting research. Um, Steve and Don, um, they went to the county office. You know, they were pulling out microfilm and paper and history. And, and granted, they had time to do that because they were there for two and a half weeks. You can do that. Right. And they're pulling out crates and boxes and digging into, I mean, because they're trying to find a root cause. You know, what, what was the house before there was a house there? What was the land like? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the wall markings hint at Native American um, based on the color and the symbols drawn. So they did that, and they were just very meticulous, and they did not take the spirit, for lack of a better word, no for an answer. There was an episode in the Demons in Seattle where the cameras died, and Ghost Adventures were in the, like, oh, the cameras are dead, the battery. We just oh, put a new battery in there. Well, that happened to Steve and Don, too. Right. And they had their cameras manipulated, but they didn't just shrug it off. They're like, Ah, that's interesting. So they played around and did some little tricks and tweaks to sort of, you know, get the the spirits in there interested and then document the anomaly afterwards. And it it yielded a lot of uh, results because once Steve, Steve has his own book, Steve Murray has his own book about the house, Fire and Whispers, where he says, when we realize that these spirits are evasive, they're elusive, um, kind of trickster because they're unplugging our electronic equipment the, the second we turn our back. There's another step in your investigation you have to incorporate when the spirits do that. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you're just chasing your t- tail the entire time. Right. You know, and that's what, and here's the main difference between what they did and what Ghost Adventure did. And this, it's really basic paranormal investigating one-on-one you have to do research into the property and they half-assed that essentially because you know from our conversation back in on episode 23 you i know i asked you about well has anybody else in that house did they have activity and that's that conversation took off in that way to where the previous tenant had um activity and I'm yep. uh, and it always kind of stuck with me. Well, why? You know, they're professionals. They have a TV show. Did they did they not ask this question? And it turns out they did. And in the stuff that you sent me from the uh, their report and everything, there's actually an email in you know that where you, I believe it was a confirmation email from the production. Pretty, yeah, production. Under, that production. Told you. Yeah. yeah, and it actually says we need that information about the previous tenant. So it, that proves that there was talks. They were aware. They wanted information. And from what the other tenant experienced, it backs up your story one hundred percent. I believe I'm quoting her. She said that place was a living hell. Yeah, Rhonda, the 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 mother, the mom, uh, her family lived in the home five years before we did. 
And they have similar activity. Now they've moved it and tell anybody. And I and it took me a while to find. Them. It took me two years to find them. Right. I, I got I got lucky when their their mail kept coming to my house. So I passed that information on to Ghost Adventures because that adds to credibility. Right. If you get a family who's in this house who has similar activity to go on record, and they have no, I mean, no communication with Keith or Tina, no relationship whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, that adds to our credibility, and I and I and I was surprised that they didn't reach out to them when I gave them the contact info, um, because I mean that's important. Like I said, when you when you're a researcher, you're trying to get to the truth, you're trying to get it from all angles, and if you got another family having similar activity, that just sends the investigation to another level on, on different. I mean, there's so many ways you can go with that because. You have to ascertain why this house and not other houses. And wow, five year difference. Wow. Think here if they can, you know, rest or slow down or go dormant or reactivate um, every five years or what, what's that all about? And some of the phenomena Rhonda and her family had, we had on a, and it was almost, yeah, like twins because nice. they had the same thing we had, but. Granted, we lived there four years, always on a higher scale. Right. Let me ask you a quick question about that real quick. You gave them the information. Now, if I heard you right, they didn't even reach out to them at all? No. I gave, when the producers of Ghost of Rich and Zach and Jeff Bellinger, if I say his last name right, right. Um, I must have gave them almost a, a, a terabyte of data. when I, Because, you know, I had, I had documented for two years video and audio myself and everything you see in the episode both episodes of the pictures of the wall writings the video and all that those are from my devices that's just they just asked permission to put it in their episode and i said okay and one of the things i gave them was Rhonda's first last name and contact info she was living in yakima washington at the time and i thought they would call her you know you know not necessarily while they were at my house but between the time they left my house and when the episode aired you know do some sort of green room interview or something like that but when i called Rhonda and asked her hey have they called you yet have they called you yet have they called you yet no 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 and then i would email hey Rhonda's waiting Rhonda's what she's waiting you know no 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 and um so that made me nervous before the episode originally aired. I was like, oh, maybe they got all the things they need. And But I don't know, a witness, that would, that would just be golden to me. But that's like leaving money on the table in Vegas. But oh, well. Right. Um, you know, that, that kind of, you know, I was like, well, in my mind, if I had that, if I was them, if I was in their shoes and, you know, was going to investigate your places and was talking to you about this, I'd be asking detailed questions. And if when you told me about this, I would immediately call these people and do my research yeah. to, to see if their story lines up, you know, and find out about prior contact. Did you know, you know, just do due diligence. And Rhonda said she was um, suicidal in the home. She tried to commit suicide in the home. She admitted that. She would have told them that. They would have been able to verify that because I, I, I verified it. I went and put up all the 911 calls to the home before we arrived, and I found Rhonda's suicide attempt 911 calls. Wow. She had five of them. And um, the police officer, the sheriff's officer who responded, 
uh, wrote up a detailed report of what he found while there. You know, he knocked on the door. He hear a woman screaming. She's yelling, leave me alone, leave me alone. She's talking to herself. She's deranged. Something's going on. He proceeds and maneuvers to the backyard, goes to the fence, sees a glass door, sliding door busted wide open with a mattress, a bed mattress stuffed through it. So he removed that, goes into the home, looking for house occupants, saying, is everybody okay? Rhonda comes out of the garage. Both arms just dripping in blood. She slashed both arms with a screwdriver. And the sheriff officer is like, drop the screwdriver, drop the screwdriver. And she's screaming to the officer, they just won't leave me alone. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. They just won't leave me alone. And finally he tases her because she's coming at him with the screwdriver. And this is what the officer wrote in his report. Wow. Okay. He had to do a write-up, right? And he tases her, and then they bring the EMT, and they, and they strap her in and take her to the, to the uh, psychological evaluation. And he writes his report. It goes into the report. PDF goes into the you know, the police database, I retrieve it years later, and it is it just blows my mind. Right. And he, I, he, he wrote on the last line he wrote, and I remember that, nobody else in the house. Nobody else was in the house. So she was screaming at who? Right. I mean, that's that, that completely goes against what they portrayed in their... Um, completely, completely... And I don't understand because I'm like, even if, if they found out themselves or did their own 911 wreck to the home to see who who made 911 calls to the home, um, it's easy to run up. They can easily do that. It's Freedom of Information Act. That's how I use it. Right. And that would have been powerful in an episode. Right. I mean, you know, the, well, I mean, the reenactment of that, you know how you get some hired actors to do that reenactment? Oh, dude. I was like, man. That would because basically all these paranormal reality shows they they're storytellers they're not investigators. True, true. They're trying to tell a story. Your story yeah. that they the story they chose to tell in your case, basically let's be honest, was a hoax story. That's the way yeah. they sculpted it. That's and, what it's yeah. But however, this story, if they would include did the research included that. They could have told a much better story and taught some people about the paranormal. How okay, this is the documentation that of activity that has happened by two two tenants. We did not catch anything. That is how the paranormal works. Yeah, that would have been a fascinating story. Maybe that's just me as you know somebody who likes the uh, investigation part of it. I'm okay with not getting anything, you know. But that would have been a fascinating story. But instead, it would have been fascinating. It would have been one that you would want to revisit as a researcher. Right. It would educate you as to how hauntings work. I mean, you have, I mean, are we talking, you know, in Rhonda's situation of her trauma somehow creating the poltergeist in the house? Are we talking stone tape theory? Are we talking? Because remember, I, I had seen apparitions, and I wrote this in both books. The apparitions look like Rhonda. The appearance of the apparitions that I saw looked like her, really? and she's very much alive. And there's there's a theory out there called crisis or living apparition. Mm -hmm. That sometimes you know where there's a theory about you know that frozen energy that gets trapped or or something, or it summons dark forces. I mean, she said she was suicidal. We believe it because we got the documents to prove it. 
And her son was seeing shadowy figures out the corner of his eye. I've seen them out the corner of my eye. And his room, the son, the kid, was the office where the poster caught fire and the wall writings. Mm-hmm. I think they're, they're, they're storytellers and entertainers because, and, I, and this is how I know, and, I'm, and I hope your listeners will listen carefully. This is how I know Zach would never do a one-on-one with me. Never, ever do a one-on-one interview with me because the only question I can ask, the question he can never answer with me in front of him, with listeners listening, is if you thought that what was on that wall looked like spray paint, we thought that looked like spray paint, why didn't you take any to have it analyzed? Why didn't you have it tested? You, you saw, you'll see in the report, and you'll see in my books, I did, mm-hmm. and it came back bone black. It's not spray paint. Any lab worth its salt is going to tell you it's not spray paint. There are there's technology available today, and Ghost has deep pockets that I can buy Charles Manson house or Charles Manson bones or whatever, so I know he can afford to paint analyze. And there are labs that can tell you the type of paint it is, where it was manufactured, when it was manufactured, what store brought it. They can go down to all that, depending on how much money you want to throw at it. They can do that and tell you, and they can also tell you this not paint. The black oil, it's not paint. It's not the paint you and I would go into a Home Depot or Lowe's or something like that or Walmart to buy. It's bone black, and anybody can Google bone black, bone char, bone ash, and see for themselves. But Zach and them never took it with them. No, they could have asked me, and I would have obliged them because you'll see in a report, in Steve's report, you see the email exchange with me and the producer of me and Tina want to paint over the walls because the Catholic Church in Bothell was telling us every time they write on our walls, we need to remove it ASAP or the spirits to get a, a deeper foothold. Well, I emailed the producer of the show, and they said, no, leave it there, leave it there, leave it there, leave it there. They want to use it for the episode. Right. So I thought they were going to take some samples with them, and if they would have asked me, I would have like, Take as much as you want because we're going to paint over as soon as you leave anyway. And I want to know what it is, too. Mm-hmm. You know, if, I, if I'm going to spray paint my wall, this wall would have been painted over before you guys got here. Right. You know, so they, they so he'll never answer that question with me in front of him as to why they didn't take any other wall writing with him have it analyzed. Because had they did. And had they came back with bone black or it's an organic paint substance with no paint material whatsoever, once again, it would have showed them going the extra mile. It would show them being a little bit more researchy and the revelation of what it actually is would have been powerful for an episode. To me, it was just a missed opportunity that should have happened. And the fact that they wanted to revisit, um, you know, I thought they was going to sort of give themselves a little out with the, the recent screening room episode of mm-hmm. saying, yeah, we were there. We didn't get nothing. But, yeah, we heard Keith and other team came and got there, you know, good for him. And we hope they got the answers. And, you know, hey, you can't, you can't get them all. Can't get them all. <laughs> you know, and hopefully one day we'll be able to review the evidence. But, yeah, but it was an interesting investigation from start to finish. And, oh, well, off to the next one. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. Right. And they talked about that in that screening room 
that episode about the spray, you know, the uh, the markings on the wall. And they, it was exact. They said the exact same thing as what they said basically in the in the yeah. original episode. And, you know, and their scientific um, investigative skills was just Billy saying, "I've had thirty years of con- you know construction experience at spray paint." That's not scientific. <laughs> that's that's looking at something with right. your eyes and saying, "I've got thirty years construction experience," and that that's 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 spray paint. What? <laughs> That's not scientific. Right. I mean, and they even said in that episode, I think it was that episode, not the original, or maybe they even covered it in the original, you know, there is a phenomenon where, okay, they're basically saying you did this, or Tina did this, or mm-hmm. whoever did it. You know, there is a phenomenon where people do do that and don't know they're doing it. And, you know, they kind of addressed that a little bit, I believe, in the screen room, just that maybe you did do it, and, you know, you just weren't aware because they talked about in the first episode a little bit about possession. He did ask some questions, you know, yeah, and you know, leaning it in that way to see, you know, if that's what was yeah. going on, you know. So I and I was like, okay, that is possible that maybe Keith or Tina did do it. They just weren't aware they were doing it. That's possible. But then they get the whole Billy's opinion of his. Well, that's, funny. that's funny. Well, the one thing, the only problem I have with that is they didn't ask us that. Right. I mean, you have even don't interviewed me four months before they came, and interviewed me a lot when they came. It's a fair question to ask. Right, it is. It's a question to ask the house occupant. Hey, you guys, you know, and and maybe bring a psychologist with you to do the questioning to determine. Hey, are you sleepwalking? Are you doing, you know, what is called wall writing, where you write sub- subconsciously or unconsciously? And there are, are, I mean, Michael Manning, uh, the poltergeist case with him, had, had, had some of that. Um, this is not that, though. Um, I've always said the wall writings, we were not home when the wall writings took place. We'd be at work. Right. We got cameras and video of the wall writings happening when we're nowhere in sight. We're, sometimes we're even out of state. Right. So, um, I mean, it's good to ask questions, but they didn't ask me that because I would provide them a truthful answer, and then that shoots that theory down. Um, and also, like I said, when you look at the wall writings closely, um, even in the reports I gave you, you'll see the markings, including the markings on the ceiling, are not paint patterns. They're not. They're not. They're not paint patterns, and some of the markings go behind furniture. They manifest behind a computer desk, uh, entertainment center. These are items that you would have to move to paint around. And it'd be very extremely, extremely, extremely difficult uh, just some of those angles alone. But yeah, we were never home on those markings. It's not like we're having supper and going there. It's like, honey, oh my God. No, no, no. We're at work. My motion cameras are going off. I log in. And my house is turned upside down. Now, one of the things the spirits did was, and this was sort of smart on their part, any camera I had in my office, they would either unplug or outright destroy. And I would never see the damage to my office until I got home. Other houses was okay. Other parts of the house was okay. They always seemed to want me to find the wall writings, not by camera, not by Snapchatting or a Snapchat of the uh, the photo, because they would send me five photos when motion or sound was detected. So I get home sort of blindsided, not knowing what I'm going to see when I walk into my office. 
and I would see the wall writings and I was like, oh, whoa, you know, and it's always dry. It's not, it's not, it's not wet. It's, it's like it's been dry forever and it's behind furniture. It's on the ceiling. And uh, so, yeah, it, it was just, it was just interesting, but also, and just to make this point stronger, poltergeists throughout history have been writing on walls. That's one of their repertoire mm-hmm. is writing on walls inexplicably with a mysterious substance. Um, the Pedro poltergeist case coming out of California, I think late seventies or eighties, uh, Dr. Parapsychologist, Dr. Barry Taft worked on that's the San Pedro haunting. Uh, that poltergeist worked with blood plasma and they tested the blood or they tested the substance and found out it was blood plasma and they tested the house occupants, and it was not their blood type. Right. There's other Portuguese cases of similar wall writings. If your friends want to Google, Google Phoenix, Arizona Portuguese cases happened in 2017, where house occupants returned home, and it was wall writings on their kitchen and their bathroom. A similar black substance, similar black chalk-like ash substance was appearing on the walls in the in the kitchen of that family. And this is re- and this is recent. This is 2017. Right. And uh, so yeah, there's plenty of cases of documented of mysterious wall writings. Um, it seems in Zach's orbit or universe, he doesn't know about those cases because there's countless of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it just was a a botched investigation from from jump really. And but one thing I do want to address about them before we, I really want to focus in on the UK team in what they did and their investigation and go over the, you know, your experiences with them and how it coincided with what you experienced from the beginning. But they, Ghost Adventures really played up the fact, and especially in this latest recap of the episode, the fact of why didn't you just leave? Explain to everybody why you did not leave that house. Cause it's not as, it's not as easy as just getting up and walking out. Yeah, I, I, I explain it in, in detail in both books why, because it's a fair question. Um, and once again, Zach, Zach knows a part of this answer because I told him. Um, we moved in the home in May 2012, and we had activity probably from May up until November of 2012. And we had been working with local paranormal teams, local churches. And then all of a sudden, the activity, through no cause of our own, I don't think we, we made them leave, it just stopped. The activity stopped from November 2012 and for the entire year of 2013. So, so when people say, well, why don't y'all leave? It's so horrible, so horrible. I want them to understand a year and maybe three or four months, we had no activity. Right. was a point in time, and that's known without Portuguese activities. The campaign does run itself out, and it's, it's like a 60 40% chance of it coming back or not. So we had no activity, and then when the activity comes back, it's usually worse than before, and ours and ours was. So that so that that theory is true, and it was worse. So we called all the people who were helping us again, and then they everybody came back who was helping us in 2012, including the the Catholic Church in Bothell, and everybody sort of had a strategy as to say this thing is not there's no silver bullet, um, it's not going to be a quick fix. If you and Tina have the stamina to take it, we have the stamina to help you. Y'all are the ones that got to live here. Right. 
Now, remember, and I said this in my, in my book one, I said after the poster caught fire in my office, the one where I dialed 911 soon after, when they came, I told Tina after we came back from the Catholic Church that I said, I'm not leaving this house. I'm just not going to cut and run. This is my house. I'm not going to cut and run. I'm not going to leave this problem for somebody else. This is this this end now. And Tina agreed with me. Now, it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Of course, we knew none of what they were planning, meaning the spirit, none. And it cost me Tina. And uh, it was hard to live through that type of event. Um, but the only silver lining out of all that is the treasure trove of evidence that came afterwards um, because it's just so much treasure trove evidence. Um, most people, when they, like when the plant flew, when we were watching TV and the plant levitates and, you know, goes back to the ground, most people move on that. Right. I have friends who move on that. So typically most people move, and like Rhonda, they move, they just move. They like, move, don't tell anybody. So the problem goes unsolved, and other family comes in, inherits the problem, and you just start the process all over again. I said, no, it ends now. And the fact that we're going to stay, I'm going to fight the good fight. I don't want to have any kids. I don't have any pets. It's just me and the girl I'm with. And we'll do this. We got the Catholic Church involved. We got their back. Everybody's throwing, every, everybody's throwing everything they can at this house, you know. And it's not working. And it's just, it's fascinating some. It's frightening others. It's frightening us. You know, we got fires, wall writings, water puddles, object floating, levitating, knives thrown. So you don't know, and then you just finally, there becomes a time where you just caught in the whirlwind of it, and then there's no guarantee that it won't follow you. Mm-hmm. And if it follows you, then me, I, 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 I made the mental calculation, well, I want to deal with it here versus it, it have this problem elsewhere if I move. Uh, this seems to be ground zero. If we can find the root cause in the ground, in the earth or something, then we can really, you know, I'll never get access to this house to solve my problem elsewhere. Those those are some of the reasons why. And, um, yeah, they they, they asked me those questions, and I interviewed them, but that never makes the episode. It makes it seem like, nah, because, yeah, the only reason why it's fake, guys, is because they're staying here. We got to look at that because nobody in their right mind would, would still be here. And I never quite understood that, like, you know, well, you, Mr. Zach, go into demon houses all the time. Right. I'm a house occupant. I just moved into a house and didn't know what it was when I when I moved in. But this is your profession, and it, it was a conscious decision on my part to stay. There are a lot of people who who stay in houses. I know people because they they contact me who are in a house right now that's more active than ours. Right. You know, there's all kind of the house could be in their family. History, their family loan, they inherited it. It's not easy. It wasn't easy for us. No, it wasn't easy for us. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I almost understand their argument, but I don't to a certain extent. You know, I've lived in houses. The house I lived in previous to where I'm at now had activity, and I lived there for 20 some odd years. Actually, yeah. more than that. You know, I now naturally I didn't have burning Bibles, um, things. 
being thrown at me, damage like that. But, you know, I did get scratches. I did, it was common for doors to close. I did get pushed and yanked around. But, you know, I never, I never once up. thought about leaving. It's just something yeah, you learn to live with to a certain extent. Yeah, I was out at that. By the time those adventures were in our house, I was having attacks while traveling on business. I'd be uh, uh, in Florida or Orlando at a, at a conference, and in my hotel room, sheets would be yanked off me in the middle of the night while sleeping. I've had chairs roll across the room. I've had laptops thrown upside down. So I was having crazy stuff away from the home. I was having stuff at work. Right. Yeah, I was sitting at my desk at work, and my something huge just bumped me, shoulder bumped me, and spun me around. It was like, boom. You know? And that happened a lot. Well, it really work or there's a mass email out, go out to the whole company of, hey, there's a car in the garage with all his doors open and the lights are blinking everywhere imaginable. And I go down there and sure enough, it's my car, close all the doors, turn the lights off, go back. Hey, there's a car down there doing it again. There's a car down there, truck lights, all the four doors. And, and <laughs> that, that happened a lot. Right. And my friend, co-workers started noticing because when my, my case went public, after they sent that email out, they're like, oh, Keith's crazy car. Keith's crazy house. Yeah. Um. Now, let's move a little bit into the, you know, the UK investigation. Now, they, in their document, in their documentary that they have on YouTube, you know, they do a thorough investigation, actually. They do research. They immediately start getting activity as you're pulling up, picking them up from the airport, you know, just pulling yeah. up. They, what I believe the door was open. The front door open. Yeah. Sure enough, they did. And they, uh, Steve, he talks about it in, in, in the report and the documentary and really goes to the detail in his, in his book of how that unfolded. Because keep in mind, they just landed there. They're, they're parapsychologists are skeptics by nature. Right. You know, they're going to, they're going to go in there with a clean slate. And every day I tell them, yeah, that's interesting, Keith. That's interesting. Yeah, okay. We'll see what we we'll see what we find. And that's pretty much their thinking. So that I'm, we're pulling up. We had just came back from, like Fred Meyer, and because they needed some personal effects, and we pull up to my driveway, and um, they had already dropped their luggage off, and we pull up into my driveway, and I have a four door car, and Steve gets out on the uh, driver's side. And he sees the door before all of us. He said, and he sees the door open as if they were expecting us. Me having lived there, that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I'm used to that. Sometimes the garage door do that. As like the spirit, like, oh, Keith's home. You know, well, Steve saw that. And, uh, and I'm glad he saw that before me. But when he saw that, he pointed to Don and he said, oh. And then I think Steve asked me, does that happen a lot? I'm like, yeah, it happens a lot. And then, so they walk, they waltz in, and that night they're, they're still setting up, and they're sort of jet lagged. And then we all go to bed. <clears throat> Each guy's got his own room. And uh, I'm knocked out. I'm, I'm asleep. Don's knocked out. And I remember while I was sleeping, I heard a big bang. Boom. And I know, because I, I hear that all the time. But I'm sleeping. I'm like, okay, I got these guys in the house. And I was so tired. Uh, and I remember saying, making a mental note, I hope they heard that. I hope they heard that. And sure enough, Steve 
heard that, and he wrote it in his notes. Once he heard that bang, he was up the rest of the morning. He was like, okay, I got to get up. These spirits are on, game on. Okay. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> sleep be down. He got up. He, he checked to make sure I was make sure I wasn't doing anything hokey, you know, like, Keith, what are you doing? What are you, why you got those two four by fours in your hand? You know? Right. <laughs> he, he confirmed that I was knocked out, mass snoring, dogs in his room. And he went downstairs and proceeded with their investigation. Then when I woke up that morning to make those guys coffee, I said, did y'all hear that bang? And, and Steve said, yeah, yeah, we got, yeah, yeah, I got that. I, I document that. You guys were knocked out of sleep. And the investigative part of him was, because they had listening devices running, but he had to replay it over and over and look at it through whatever listening tool that measures sound waves and decibel waves and all that. And he said, this is, this is, this is a, this is a, a, a pattern unusual for that type of rapping noise. Okay. It's, it's, it's known throughout Portuguese. guys. There's a, there's a rapping signature, a digital footprint, if you will. And that was what that was. And he, he did a search of the house and couldn't find the source of that bang. And then once again, he asked me, does that happen a lot? I'm like, yeah. So yeah, that, that was the, that was day one, day two. Right. Now they really focused on the, uh, Native American part of this or role in this haunting, possible role in this haunting. And I found it fascinating that they, in the documentary, they interviewed, they were interviewing the priest, I believe, that did the exorcism. Father Roger. And when exactly did he do that? That was pre-Ghost Adventures, correct? Father Roger came to the home in spring of 2015. So this is after Ghost Adventures had left. Oh, it's after Um, that. Okay. Yeah, 2015. I was it had been April of May of 2015. And in their interview or conversation they had at the table, you know, he really, he basically said he felt that there was some kind of Native American burial ground either underneath the house or in the general backyard area. Um, yeah. What did he base that on? Is it just lore or did he have some knowledge? No, um, it's, it's, it's common knowledge um, in Wilhelmish County where the house is located, and Boston specifically. Um, and this is not, it's mentioned in the book, but a lot of people don't know this. Um, we had shamans to the house. Shamans did come to the Bothell home to do their own investigation to sort of help us out. Like I said, we had mass teams involved. And Father Roy was working with the uh, shamans, who were up north of Seattle called Tulela, the Tulela tribe off that on that reservation. And he had always worked. Father Roy had done multiple uh Portuguese hauntings in the in the states neighboring Seattle or, or neighboring Washington. So when they came to the house and the shaman and, and they did their land history research of the land, uh in Bothell, Washington land specifically, and drilled down to that area, um they came back to find a tribe, a Native American tribe called the Willow people or Duwamish tribe who had lived in the Bothell uh, area. They numbered between 500 and 800. And in the, in the mid 1800s during the uh, battle of Seattle, when Seattle uh, was forming, um, a lot of the Native Americans from Bothell would rush down there and, and aid in the fight. However, in Bothell, they were fighting with the settlers in the area. And then in the mid 1800s, there was a mass 
smallpox outbreak that pretty much decimated the entire Pacific Northwest. Uh, nearly a million Native Americans died, and over 500 to 1,000 died in Bothell. Um, the shamans had informed Father Roy and me um, that there are a lot of mass graves in Bothell. And there are still, and, and if you were here, I could drive you to them in the sense I could drive you to the graves of abandoned cemeteries, of the settlers, of the cemeteries out in the wood area. You don't have to walk too far off the, off the, off the main highway, off the main road, because back then families had their own cemetery. They didn't, they didn't have a graveyard or whatever. They had their own. Family members got buried in their backyard. And Native Americans sort of the same way. So he was basing that on that. And then we, Stephen Dawn, thinking that was interesting, went to go pull up records to confirm that. And then also, um, and these are in the documentary, you can hear Dawn ask the, you know, the spirits, he's talking in the wood. Dawn went to the wooded area behind my house, conducted mm-hmm. a few EVP sessions where he asked them about the land and the voices came back and said, yes, it's related to the land, it's related to Native American. Um, also the symbol, the upside down man, the symbol on the wall, um, in my office that the spirits drew multiple times means it's a Native American pictography or calligraphy that means a man has died or is about to die. Uh, it typically means a man has died of smallpox or was murdered hmm. or, or if, it, if he is about to die, it's because he's sick with disease. So you take these things, like I said, it's a puzzle, it's a breadcrumb. You take one, everything. The bone black just really sealed it. I mean, Native Americans are uh, the property owner of the bone black. They That's what they use as their calligraphy and pictography. Um, it was funny, I almost laughed, I heard Zach say, well, why would a demon write 666 and draw Native Americans? Well, those two don't go together. And I'm like, okay. Right. Yeah, I mean that's really just an asinine comment. Even if it's yeah, a trickster exactly. spirit, and that has nothing to do with. Has nothing either. to do. With you get both. You can get both. Yeah, yeah you get both. I yeah, mean, it's a tr- I've heard Satan on the ghost box in some of my investigations on multiple investigations. Doesn't mean that Satan was there. I don't think Satan was there. It was something yeah. being a trickster. This is a trickster. What they do? They they want to implied fear and uncertainty to me and Tina. I even said they want to throw off they, they want to throw off the investigator. You know, it's, it's very easy to an investigator who doesn't have to say, ah, here we go, guys. Another six six six. Oh boy. Right. Oh. <laughs> I mean really Zach should love it just for the matter of fact it seems like every episode is about demons and That's Satan. Yeah. I, I mean I, I figure he'd be all excited about it. Um but what's really funny is in both of those Ghost Adventures episodes, they downplayed and outright said there was no Native American activity in Bothell. And that I don't understand what I do. Zach and their research team, they fairly included, need to be, in my opinion, fired. Because nowadays, meaning the technology that we all have at the palm of our hands, mm-hmm. anything you say, I can Google. I can prove you wrong by standing next to you. <laughs> right. I mean, I did it. I I googled Bothell. Yeah, you, that's one of the first things that comes up. 
And, and yeah, you don't have to read far into the history of Bothell to know that there were Native Americans living here. Right. The name of the county is Snohomish County. Right. So I was real. I was like, when I saw like what? And they and yeah, they they ran. I was like, okay, you need to find your researcher guy, dude, because. Yeah, but I mean, that's on multiple sites, and the more you drill down, you you, you get into the history of what I just told you about Bunkle and Snohomish and Puget Sound. So I was surprised at that. Right. That, that because like it's easy verifiable. I always tell because every now and then I get a troll or a, a Zach fan or somebody. I'm like, hey, hey, don't believe me. Go Google Bothell. Right. Go find or go to your own library in your own town and, and look up Bothell, and then get back to me. I never hear from them. Never. Right. Now, is there still a lot of that going on, or you don't really do you? You get a lot of trolls from you know the Ghost Adventures faithful. Uh, it comes in it comes in waves. It comes in spikes. Um, there was a little flare up after this episode aired, um, and uh, you know people go on different YouTube channels and like leave you know snarky comments right. and stuff and. Well, yeah, they, yeah, and that's never going to see, and and that don't that don't affect that. That almost comes into territory, yeah. but um, but the opposite side of that are people who actually believe and had their own experience or saw the documentary or the report. Um, like I said, all this information is free. I always laugh when people say, "Oh, he's doing it for money, doing it for money." Right. Like, no, it's free. <laughs> you can go to YouTube and watch. A pretty good hour and a half documentary. Right. What now? Did they uh, in the UK team? Did they come up with any thing? Uh, did they come up with anything about Native Americans that was rock solid, as in bones or anything? I, I know they did it. No, I mean, they, didn't, they didn't. I mean, you would have. They, they didn't. They didn't unearth anything. Okay. Or start bringing tractor trailers into the home, uh, to the backyard. Um, no, they they didn't didn't do they didn't do any of that. Um, all thing they did was spend time at the county records office, interview people, shamans, locals, conduct EVP sessions where they got answers saying Native American. The other answers EVPs they got were Irish accents and Irish at that time were the largest population of settlers in Bothell. Uh, I think they're about 11 or 15% now today. And um, so, yeah, I mean, you look it up on the day and find out this place was once Irish, you know, on pretty much a Bothell. And then you got Irish accents on your EV. It's not a huge leap to say, okay, Irish accents, and then you have the Native American um, stuff. What I explain in my book, too, as to why the spirit drew the upside-down man in my office, why they use bone black. I say in my book, too, it's Portuguese of Washington State, I say the bone black and the upside-down are metaphors. When Bothell was first founded, um, they were mainly fighting with Native Americans over the mass chopping down of trees. That's what primarily what the war was about, the mass 
depiction of salmon and the mass chopping down of trees. The Native Americans in, in this particular area have a high reverence for trees. And they were fighting the settlers constantly, and it was just massive excavations, excavations, excavations. And if you look at bone black and how bone black was originally formed, it's buffalo bone. The only reason why bone black became a commodity was you had all these dried buffalo bones littered over the American for far as the eye could see, thousands and thousands of them. And nobody knew what to do with the carcass, with the bones. It soon became a fact that you can reduce bone down to a black paint if you burn it and incinerate it, and you can use it for a black paint. And that's what they did with the leftover buffalo. After the buffalo were near extinct, they were able to reduce bone, the buffalo bone to bone black. So imagine you got a spirit here who's sort of the trees represent the buffalo of the North American uh, of Puget Sound, of the mass excavation, the near extermination of pine trees and these trees up here, and the spirit dying of smallpox, being left to die, um, not given the vaccine. They were purposely not given the vaccine. Native Americans were they were told to just die off. That's what I was told to do. And all this is documented, so I'm not just talking about it. It's all documented. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them died. Nearly a million of them died. And their shallow graves spread out throughout the Pacific Northwest. Every now and then in our news, in my local news, there will be a, a break-in of a new building going up, a new house development going up. And they had to stop because they found a shallow grave of Native Americans and they call in, you know, the scientists, the museum. For the most part, that area doesn't get developed. The Native Americans have rights over that area and that area doesn't, it gets warded off, corded off, depending on how, how much is there. So I, I think the spirits in their way, keeping a promise to their ancestors of yeah, we're going to haunt certain individuals. We're going to make our presence known. Uh, the standard buffalo bone, the upside down man, are representations of how this area was, how the Americans were ill-treated, the wars that took place, the shallow graves, as you know, as Native Americans, is a preparation burial. And if there's not a preparation done uh, correctly, um, spirits wander and can haunt you or make a avenging anger out of them. So, so it's all that. It's just it's just interesting, fascinating. You know, yeah, that's kind of. I mean, there's so much going on at that location. I know the UK team talk, really talked about poltergeist activity, and it's a weird kind of poltergeist activity because generally. Poltergeist activity really relates to like what your the previous tenant experienced. Your your activity was poltergeist like, but it would happen when you weren't there, which is you know that's weird. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah, and that he was very curious about. You're right. I mean, that almost makes me think. I don't know if uh, they got into it, but 
could that previous tenant, you know, with the poltergeist activity, like what we talked about, how things get frozen there, or could that be a portal portal there now because of her fear, her, what she went through, the energy that she expelled by doing that, you know, just kind of opened up the floodgates. Yeah. Uh, I forgot what book it was, but when you have a traumatic event in a home or location, um, you can't conjure up a poltergeist or a demonic negative presence. Uh, they just conjure it up. That energy is docile and, you know, the right level of synergy or uh, trauma. Like I said, the risks that I saw Rhonda were around that. And so that, that's an important piece of evidence in the sense of it explains a lot in the sense of, okay, but one spirit was all gray. I called her the gray lady. And she was interactive. She would turn off lights and take off running and peek around, peek around corners and look dead at you with her BDI. But the white apparition was all white, which I two years later, she was just like watching a movie. You would watch her walk left to right through the hallway. No interaction, no eye contact. Very stoic, very monotone. And then she would just poof, she's gone. Um, and it looked like Rhonda as well. Is that a frozen image of Rhonda? Like maybe Rhonda was one day walking in her hallway or something and was hit with a trauma. Right. And um, so, yeah, you're right. We had activity away from the home. Uh, Rhonda and them had activity five years before we moved there. We still don't know about the families that lived in between. I would love to catch up to them one day. Yeah. So maybe they had activity and didn't know it, or or not. Right. Never but um, these things, I mean, 5% of Portuguese cases, activity happens when the house occupants are not home. Activity happens when they travel or go elsewhere or when they move. It just rarely gets talked about. We only talk about the 90%. I'm not of the theory of telecom, I an RSPK, meaning an agent. You know, you always, uh, where's the girl? Who's the child? Who's the major adolescent? Right. I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, and we had no kids. So there goes that. And we've had activity when we we're when I was it. So um, it's just it's just interesting. I think if people really get down on their knees and study this case and all the evidence that's made available, they're going to come to the conclusion, like I did, and like some of the paranormal organizations around the world are still coming to right now, is this is this is sort of slowly but surely redefining what we know about Portuguese. There's no, you know, that's the one thing about this. There's no definite answers to any of it because we don't know what we're dealing with. And don't know what we're dealing with. No. Yeah, so, so they hold a conference and have Q and A. Yeah, I mean, um, they now give me a summary of the UK team's assessment. Essentially, what did they say about your activity and about that house? Uh, good question. Steve said uh, he classified he classified it in the report as a localized intelligent haunting. He said the phenomena 
based on what he's seen and the evidence he compiled, seems to be landlocked. It seems the phenomenon seems to be related to the land. And therefore localized. And he said, uh, underneath that, you have a lot of Portuguese related activity. Mm. He said, this is, this is a Portuguese home. Make no mistake. This is a Portuguese home. It's an infestation. But there's a running period. All Portuguese cases have a running period, runtime. And uh, it, it's just a sense of wrong place, wrong time with me and Tina. And Steve has a and I and I and I, see, and, I, and, I and I subscribe to it. Of there seems to be a certain synergy of involved that activates Portuguese phenomena. Meaning, you can have four families moving and nothing happens. You have a, another family move in, things goes crazy. Yeah, we don't, we don't necessarily know why, but it, it's just the way it is. One of the questions I always get from people. Um, is well. Have you talked to the previous the tenants now? Have you talked to the people who live there now? Are they still having activity? And I said, I have, number one, I have not talked to them, but I know where you're going with this. Um, we have to stop at least with this case. We have to stop thinking that the house is haunted in the sense of there was a legitimate haunting there. Then anybody who lives there would have an activity. That's not how Portuguese hauntings work. You can have activity for four years, two years, one year. We leave, another family comes in and have nothing ever, ever. You know, they're on their own timeline. Right. And so we, it's not, it's not really the house that's haunted. It's the people. It's the people that the Portuguese is haunting. You know, the things we saw, they did that to get our attention. That they're haunting us. And the family, I don't want to go poking around, knocking on doors, because I don't need more confirmation to make to confirm what I experienced. And I definitely don't want to give them the idea to start looking over their shoulder with every crooked cranny noise, because believe it or not, if you did that, you might wake them up. If you start getting the input, asking yourself, I heard a noise, and you start looking around corners or sleeping with one eye open because your house is making noise only because Keith Linder visited you today and put that idea in your head, you might wake them up. Uh, I don't want to be the linchpin. I always tell myself, if that house ever activates again, oh, I'll be contacted. Mm -hmm. I'm easy to find. It'll be on the news. And yeah, I'm not hard to find. Um, What... Now, what kind of activity? How long have you been out of the house? When you moved out in two thousand sixteen, four years. Four years this month. Four years in May. Um, what has gone on between at your new home? Have you just been in one place the past four years, or I've been twice since I've lived in the in the, in the Buffalo home. I moved May of two thousand sixteen out of Buffalo home, and I think the first five chapters in book two is me planning for that move and then living in my second residence. But yeah, I was followed. I did have water puddle phenomena on the first night of me moving in where the mysterious puddle of water formed on my kitchen table due, due to water dripping from the ceiling. I called the building maintenance department in and they came in and couldn't find the root cause of the water or where it was coming from. The lead engineer put his finger up on the ceiling where the water was coming from. It was bone dry. 
Um, no, no roots cause whatsoever. Water just evaporates on its own, and that's so. Yeah, I, I had, and then just the, the minor electrical equipment, stuff, um, you know, battery drainage, uh, occasional TV on channel surfing. Uh, but I've moved twice now. Nothing in my new place where I've lived now because I moved here in May of this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the only thing I have now are the heartbeats, heartbeats while sleeping, uh, the disembodied heartbeats that you hear or I hear in my bed mattress or pillow. And once again, that's on my YouTube channel. I captured those heartbeats using expensive uh, digital uh, stethoscope. Out of the medical, out of the medical community, not the paranormal community, but um, and then the poking and the prodding, the the the, the mattress indentations, of like an invisible cat, a cat walking towards you in the middle of the night. Of course, I have no pet. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's what's going on now. Nothing like the Bothell House itself. Uh, no movement of objects. Definitely no fires. No incinerary. Uh, events. So, um, I'll take it Um, one thing I forgot to ask: Did I know the the UK team was relating a lot to the Native American? The land it's associated with the land. So there was no not to get back to Ghost Adventures too much, but there was nothing evil, no demonic type activity from what they saw or felt or experienced? No, they, they did not witness demonic phenomena. They kept in a lot of phenomena, like 434 EVPs the first trip, like 270-something EVPs the second trip. But what they did capture from the EVPs, and uh, they asked, you know, did y'all push Keith down the stairs? Because in my book I talk about I had a huge leg, bad fall that resulted and me tearing my kneecap, right patella tendon. And they admitted to me. When they asked them, did y'all push down the stairs, the answer that they got was, yes, we did. We pushed their answer, and I put it in court. We pushed Keith down the stairs. Um, so they, they got that, and they got another, I mean, if you saw the document, you see the shadowy figures in the hallway. Mm-hmm. He does a strobe light experiment. Um, I talk about it in great detail of, of seeing those shadowy figures out, you know, out the corner of my eye or with my naked eye. Uh, other people have seen them all around me. So that's interesting. Um, you know, they didn't see anything like writing on the wall, fire, but unlike Ghost Adventures, they were not coming to expect that. See, one thing Ghost Adventures seemed to do is they were coming to expect that. They were, we want to see Bibles burning. We want to... And, that's not how the paranormal works. That's not how the ghost does all that stuff to get you guys here. And if you're lucky, you may get level two, level one phenomena. But all that fire and hell and brimstone stuff, that's for Keith and Tina. Right. You know, you can get evidence that corroborates that. And that's what Stephen Don did. Like I said, they got the, um, the voice was saying, yeah, this is Native American related, you know, and I'm paraphrasing. They got that. They got the shadowy figures. They had the oil. 
enormous amount of EVP, enormous amount. They heard a few of the banging, the footsteps, the electronic equipment manipulation. Um, they were all that. You put what they got and what I've been reporting, um, you know, they, they would put listening devices on the bed because I was telling them about the bed stuff I just knew about. And they would seal the room off and come back and all that equipment's on the floor. And it's like, well, we just put this under the mattress. Why is it? How could we go from under the mattress to resting five feet from the bed? You know, and the room is quartered off. Quartered off. So they got all that stuff, and it just corroborates what I said that lured them there the first time. There? Yeah. Okay. Thought I heard a tone. I thought I dropped you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a fascinating case. I, what do you take from it? I mean, that had to been a frustrating time of your life, and then with the whole Ghost Adventures debacle, essentially, the past five years have to be, is it stressful? Do you look back on it and say, I wish I hadn't done that with the Ghost Adventures thing? Um, I can say, honestly, um, it was stressful living in the house. There's no way of getting around that. You don't want to wish that on your work. That was stressful. Um, the Ghost Adventures... The only thing that bothers me about the ghost adventures thing is saying, them trying to make us look like hoaxers and then trying to make Tina look like she's a demon lady, like Tina Curie. Right. I didn't appreciate that. She's my girlfriend. That whole scene of her and Zach almost butt heads or whatever, that's how it happened in real life. That's edited. I was edited wrong. I can never prove it because I don't have the original film. Right. Too, but I can tell you, that's not how it happened. Yeah. So those two things, I also say to myself, and this is true, and I don't mind admitting, um, I'm glad Ghost Adventures didn't find anything, because had they did, there would be no Stephen Dawn. That's true. There, would be, there would be no documentary. There would be no 60-plus page report. There would be no what the other paranormal team found, the Nikki Novells, the Nick Kyle of the world. No, all of that would have been gone because the ghost adventures just came to me and said, we, we saw a dust orb, you got demons in here, we're gone. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's... Me not knowing anything about the paranormal, that would have been it for me. Right. I would have been like, oh, yeah, dust orbs, the demons, I'm out of here. You right. know? Yeah, there's always, <laughs> there's always a silver lining. It was probably for the best. You you got more answers now, the way, yeah. the way it went down. And yeah. Got, you know, if they just would have did their thing, got a couple EVPs, maybe, you know, a little stick figure on their stupid little camera, you know, yeah. it would have been over and you, you know, you still would have had a problem with no complete and total understanding of the situation and what you were truly dealing with. Exactly. And then I would have been like, okay, all right, we'll, we're, for, we're, we're out of here. Right. But I think those positions, they underestimated, they didn't know I would keep this case going. They didn't know I would reach out to the paranormal world like a Steve Mara and these guys. And I found out my research and reading because I was trying to get my own answer. And I, and I recommend anybody out there to do the what I did. All I did, nothing crazy, is try to get my own answers with the old-fashioned way. I spent 
hours in the library reading about Portuguese. Mm. So I found these guys with books. And, you know, where's that book on Portuguese? He doesn't have any. No, he's got a museum. Yeah. So I called these guys, I called Steve and them, and then that's how they got involved. So I'm glad. I, I'm glad I, I doubled down, but I know Ghost Adventures never expected that because they wanted to be the end-all, but I was not going to let them be the epitaph of this house or this case, especially, I don't know if you noticed already, because it cost my girlfriend, uh, Rhonda, the, the, the previous tenant, mm-hmm finally succeeded in committing suicide. She's not around anymore. Oh, really? She's gone. Yeah, she 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 of a moving train August 2016. I was going to her to tell her what Stephen Dawn had found to give her some sort of consolation that she's not crazy. But by then, it was too late. walked from a moving train in Montana. Wow. And uh, so these things, there's lives lost. There's a casualty. There's one, day, there's, there's one person lost to this. I lost Tina, and I was not going to get them back into forever re- run reruns of this episode and say, ha-ha, nothing there to Tina or Hoaxie. Right. What I know, in fact, we're not. What I know, in fact, I'm done. May she forever rest in peace, committed suicide. She was trying to reach out. She saw the shadowy figures. They had activity. Most of she was not to contact her. So yeah, I kind of, I just couldn't do that, and that's why I doubled down. And as a result, all this information is out there for people to see, relatively free and easy. I mean, it's on YouTube. I don't know how free you can get in YouTube. Yeah. And, uh, watch it in your leisure. Watch it at home. Watch it. Analyze it. By all means, report the link you're going to put out. Read that, and uh, you're going to get your answers. Right. I mean, that just goes to show this is, you know, not to say if they would have done their job properly, if they would have gave it more effort and not tried to spin a story rather than doing proper investigation, you know, this is, it's life and death in a lot of cases. And in this case, it turned out to be life and death. Yeah, it's life and death. These are people's lives you're messing with. And, um, you know, we don't know these people. Well, you should know. Right. You should know. Right. Why wouldn't you know? You should enter. You should know me, Tina, where you don't fly 3,000 miles for nothing. Right. Okay. Even Donald flew 6,000 miles, you know? So, you and they interviewed me for four months. But you should know. And there was a loss. There was a relationship loss. But you should, you should be careful. You're supposed to be the tutelage. You're supposed to be the doctor who arrives on the scene who can make the situation worse than when he found it. Right. And they made it worse when they found it. And, right. that, and, that, and that's, just, that's just the honest truth. Right. So what is up next for you? What's, are you still going over evidence? You still, I know you got the YouTube channel. Tell everybody about the YouTube channel. Yeah, so the YouTube channel started originally when the phenomenon started in the house. I was just backing everything up, lights going up and on, objects moving strange noises and all that stuff is there wall writings all that stuff is there so it's still there there's a lot of mini documentaries the stuff about the bone black the water puddle the yellow oil you name it it's on there and uh, i was about 400 odd videos they're very they vary in length but they're all a, a, a look-see um now 
I, every now and then, because it's so, you know, we probably reviewed, meaning me and other people, 40% of all the data collected. So every blue moon, a new discovery gets made in EVP or something. And I'll put it on YouTube. Somebody will review some old material and they'll email me and have the time they're correct. Um, what I'm doing now is I'm writing book three. Book three, just to complete the trilogy, is nonfiction. It has nothing to do about what's going on in the house. I've already told that story in book two. But book three is going to be scientific. Yeah. Something that don't throw around a lot. They should run from going to be scientific in the sense of all that activity we talked about tonight and all that activity that Stephen Dawn witnessed and other people with Rhonda witnessed and all the Portuguese cases in the past all have certain things in common in regards to the phenomena. I'm going to throw physics at it. I'm going to throw quantum mechanics at it um, because I've seen objects levitate. I've seen objects go through solid objects. I've seen objects go through walls. I've seen objects fly in midair, and upon me looking at it in midair, it just falls to the ground. I turn my back, it resumes flight again. I've seen objects zigzag in midair. Um, these are things you want to put, I, I want to put under the microscope of what science say is behind that. You know, you always hear about portals, multiple dimensions, uh, wormholes, things like that. And scientists, if you get them, you know, you read some of the scientists online, you know, like Lisa Randall, theoretical physicist, they'll tell you that stuff is plausible and possible. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in a universe as big as ours, infinite, you start incorporating string theory with quantum mechanics and whatnot. Um, it's not beyond the pale because scientists today can teleport atoms, they can teleport electrons. You know, there's experiments right now where they're sending light from a laboratory on Earth to the International Space Station and faster than the speed of light. So they can do it on a microscopic quantum level. Therefore, in theory, according to Albert Einstein, in theory, it should be able to be possible on the micro level. Mm -hmm. yeah. so that's what it's going to be about. It's going to be very technical going through a whole bunch of research more than before. I'm reading and all these guys and Lisa Rando and you name it, anybody who wrote stuff because they already talk about parallel universes and dimensions. And they're not saying these things are These universes between you and me right now, between my desk and the chair are an infinite number of invisible universes. And I think, you know, it's I think some of these spirits might be occupying inner dimensions. I, I really do. Yep, it's like I said, it's hard to answer a question when you don't even know what the question is, and that is basically what we're dealing with. And but I do firmly believe that you know, with quantum mechanics and the way physics is advancing, we are yeah. we are closer now to scientifically, not necessarily proving, but you know getting closer to actual the science and the paranormal are moving closer together. They're on a trajectory to cross at some point, hopefully in my lifetime. Yeah. Hopefully my, they're going to cross some point. What they witnessed in the big Stern accelerator in Geneva 
They look into atoms and molecules and electrons and things fade in and out of existence. People see inside their homes. So they're going to emerge. There's an explanation from it. Remember, the theory is the Big Bang is expanding, but it once was all condensed. It once, the theory was once called the Big Crunch. Mm-hmm. Everything was infinitely close together. Yeah. So That's fascinating. When you get that finished let me know i'd love to have you back on just talk about that because i'm a little bit of a geek when it comes to that so not very knowledgeable but i like i like listening to it and i like understanding it because i think that's the direct the the direction we need to go in just not you know sitting in a house in the dark with a recorder and a night vision camera we have to put science to it you got to you got to put to it if you hit a brick wall you hit a brick wall but i i found in my research I have not run into a brick wall yet. Some of the phenomena witness, science has an answer for. Um, these spirits are just advanced in us. I'm talking about the spirits themselves, and there you go where, and this is talking what the physics say, theoretical say. These different universes or dimensions have entities or beings in them who would have special abilities that when they get into our universe, the abilities would explode. Mm-hmm. They would just explode. You know, just like when you jump into a, a pond with fish, you're in their area, but you have more ability than they do. They're like, whoa, you know, they can only move left and right. You can move up and down, left and right, and lift them out of the pond in your dimension, and they never mentioned even existed. Like, whoa, what is this? Where did this reality come from? I, I'm used to water. What is this reality? So, um, yeah, so it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting. This book, I'm really gonna I'm real pleased with what I've done so far in my research, and I and I think the paranormal community needs it. I think it'll 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 be good. I look forward to reading that one. So, yeah, like I said, be sure to uh, reach out when you get that oh, yeah. done, and I'll have you on and. I'll send you the. I just got the. I uh, designed the book cover uh, over the weekend. I'll send you what the book cover looks like, and get this spill. I'll put it in our in our email exchange. Sweet, sweet. I look forward to it. Um, thank you so much for co- coming on. Um, how can if somebody's interested or wants to talk to you, what's the best way to reach out to you? Hey, just email me. My email address is in uh, both books, but it's macudor two at gmail.com M-A-C as in cat Q D as in David O-R two at gmail.com love questions I love fielding responses I can send people evidence reports videos point them in the right direction yeah they can definitely find me by emailing that'll work I will be sure to include in the show notes of this page in the or in the description the uh, links that you have you sent me especially with that document i mean there's a lot to of that report as you said there's a lot of information to digest and it's fascinating how detailed they were in that investigation yeah yeah i'm well pleased well pleased all righty thank you so much for coming on and everybody if you are listening to this be sure you can tune in for the live stream episodes when I record these on Tuesdays, generally Tuesdays or Wednesdays at 10 o'clock, be sure to follow me at my page at Ghost in the Night on uh, Facebook. That is the best way. That's where I broadcast or live stream these from. I will I give updates to let you know when I'm going to do that. 
it's just an easy way to kind of have a little bit of a side conversation with people that are listening. But I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. Be sure to reach out to Keith and let him know how much you enjoyed his story and what you think about his experiences he had. And just thank him for coming on this show. We will be back next week. Thank you, everybody, and take care. presents an interview with your upstairs neighbor. Hi, I'm Tia. The upstairs-downstairs neighbor dynamic is so special. We have our own language. Like when I scream at my mom on the phone, the people downstairs bang on the ceiling to show their support. The nighttime's the best time to rearrange furniture. I call it midnight feng shui. And if I sleep through my alarm in the morning, they bang on my door to wake me. So thoughtful. Progressive can't save you from your upstairs neighbor, but we can save you money when you bundle renters and auto insurance with us. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations.